Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and today's guest is someone who used to be a player, but is now a notable coach, having coached teams like FlyQuest, Echo Fox, Clutch Gaming, which became Dignitas, and is now a free agent on the market. Please let me introduce Thomas Slotkin, maybe better known as ThinkCard. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm exciting to have you on the show. We talked a little bit beforehand. I don't think you've ever done an interview like this. I went through a lot of your interviews and different stuff. That is like the only way that I can do this show is by researching a ton on you. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm excited to uh, kind of get to know you a little bit better. So we're going to start it off easy with the, the questions that I'm going to ask you. Um, I was looking through um, your Twitter and one of the things that I noticed is you seem to be terrible at baking fucking cookies. Please tell me, for the love of God, you now know how to bake cookies. Oh, God. What was that? That was with FlyQuest. It was me and, um, it was Moon and I trying to make cookies, and we probably forgot an ingredient, but it just came out as like a, a thin sheet of the most disgusting thing, but it tasted amazing. So That's I will just say. Your cookie bake now? You're just going to do. I haven't attempted since, but I'm just going to stand by it. Balls gave that a 10 out of 10. So. What can I say? I, I don't think that qualifies as a cookie. That's all I'm going to say. I think it's more <laughs> of like a cake at that point. Um, so, yeah, I uh, baking, uh, scrolling through your timeline. First of all, I will say you look older. Like, if you look at your younger pictures now, I think you've aged, which I think is good. I have not aged at all, that unfortunately. So, uh, but that's cool. One of the other things that I noticed when I was kind of looking through, uh, like, some of your history and stuff, I noticed that you you mentioned someone uh probably known as like the Iceman, maybe better known as uh, Wim Hof. Uh, he does these really interesting breathing techniques and is, yeah. uh, I think he has the record right now for standing in like an ice bath um, or like frozen water. Um, is this someone that you utilized in your coaching philosophy? Is he uh, like a, a really big part <laughs> of like, think, think cart does Wim Hof esports coaching? Yeah, we did not. Uh, I mean, th that's about what he, he brings. Oh, yeah. He brings people into the mountains and then they wear like just like boxers and underwear and yeah. and they're in like sub freezing temperatures and you're supposed to like control your body heat through like breathing exercises. Yeah. And I don't think that has its place in esports as of now, but okay. maybe in the future I'll, I'll bring him out and we'll do a little sub-freezing mountain climbing in like Colorado well, I, I don't know or if you had seen some of his other stuff too because I know he does um, different like morning meditation and breathing techniques mm -hmm. uh, I, I've always kind of found it interesting I wasn't sure how much of that maybe you were like yeah maybe I'm going to implement this because you know people talk about uh, yoga meditation and esports which I always find an interesting subject uh, not that it's bad but it's just it's one of those things that people are like, oh, your par your players are burning out. Have them do yoga or yeah. meditation like that is a uh, suitable solution to the problem all the time. So I wasn't sure how much you kind of uh, fell into that stuff. Um, well, I'll say the thing with at least in esports with yoga and meditation is you just need the players to like some players are going to buy into it and yep. others are not. They're going to think the process is a waste of time. And yes. that. Most most players will do it anyway, but yeah. obviously you just have mixed results. Like you can't yeah. just like you said, you're not just going to be able to throw a team into a yoga session and then everyone's going to come out feeling great and ready to be amazing teammates and just like smurf the whole day. Um, yeah, but it, it has its place. Yeah, I agree with that. So one of the cool things about you is that you mostly grew up in New York City, if I have that information right. Yeah, that's correct. OK, um, how does it feel living in L.A. with their shitty pizza? Honestly, I do miss New York pizza. 
I've but, never had it, but I heard it's the best. I will. I do think it's the best, but but LA food is still pretty good. So I'm not gonna just you know shit all over LA food. It's it's got its ramen. It's got its Asian food. Like just LA food, nothing to complain about. Okay, okay. I, that is one of the things that I noticed when I lived in LA is that I think that their uh, like Korean and Asian food is very good. I felt mm-hmm. like everything else was kind of subpar, to be honest. Like I felt like. Chicago was just a much better place. Like I'd rather just eat in Chicago for like most most food. I've never been to New York, but I think for most food, I think I would just rather eat in Chicago. Chicago, interesting. Yeah, Chicago is really good food. I was actually just in Chicago, and I had their deep dish pizza for the second time in my life. So from where this is matters. Okay, one of the better places. Name the top two places. Okay, so people always go to like Luminati's is one, or Pequod's is another one, or Geno's. Those are like the three that you hear all the time. I think it was Geno's, but now I don't know because th- none of those names sound like the one I went to. Okay, so there's there's one place in Chicago for pizza that I would recommend going to, and it's technically not deep dish. People call it deep dish, but it's technically not deep dish. It's called Pequod's, and basically it's a thick crust where they, uh, it, it, I would, maybe it's closer to like Detroit style, but they like caramelize the edge of the crust, which is really the, what makes it so delicious. Um, But it's not like two thin uh, pieces of crust with like cheese and stuff, which is kind of what a stereotypical deep dish is. I love pizza, by the way. It is uh, my favorite food and I eat a lot of it. Um, But yeah, there's actually places in like if you ever go to Chicago, there's this one place that makes uh, tapas called the Purple Pig. It's very hard to get into and you normally have. I mean, you can normally get into it same day, but you have like a, a wait time normally of like an hour and a half to two hours to get into it. But it is one of the best places i think i've eaten in chicago and i definitely right have you ever had okay. tapas uh i have had tapas okay. but not from the purple pig it's good it's good highly recommend so um but yeah food stuff like that that's always interesting so what is new york city like for someone who hasn't been there uh honestly i love new york city i would say the thing that shocks people the most is it's not the cleanest obviously but subway system very efficient you can get anywhere you want for Maybe it's more than 225 now, but it used to be 225. And you get free transfers, so legit, you go anywhere in the city. It's beautiful, amazing parks. Obviously, Central Park is the famous one. Mm-hmm. Um, really nice museums. Um, that's something I don't think I really took. Uh, I kind of took that for granted as a kid. Um, yeah. But whenever I go back, I usually visit the museums because they're amazing. And then it's just, for me, my favorite part is just walking around at night because you have the lights you have everyone everyone like really excited like i just love the energy so that's my favorite favorite part about new york city is walking around at night with either by yourself or with some friends and just enjoying the city that's nice because i know when i lived in la that isn't really an option at least where i lived and i lived in like more north uh LA. That's not really, it's not easy to get to, around in LA. Just in general, there's no public transport really. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's public transport where you're at, but where I was at, there was absolutely none. Your drives are looking at like an hour plus if you're driving someplace. Um, did you miss that a lot uh, when you live in LA? Yes. I mean, in LA, like you said, you kind of need a car. And yeah. so transportation, not the same. You can obviously <laughs> Uber everywhere now, but yeah. it's not as convenient as paying what 250 and going anywhere you want Mm -hmm. did you uh are you still a new york resident are you a a california resident now california resident okay okay i mean were you a little bit worried with what is it prop 22 where uber and lyft were looking to uh possibly 
uh, go away? Was that something that maybe slightly worked? Because I could see not having Uber and Lyft in LA being terrifying. Yeah, it was a little scary. Um, obviously, that prop has a bunch of hidden things. I don't know if we yes. want to get into that, but <laughs> I yeah, go ahead. I wouldn't mind you talking. I like, I, like I said, my goal for this show is to show who you are as a person, and sometimes talking about politics is the best way to show what type of person you are. Well, I'd probably rather avoid Prop 22 in general, but mm -hmm. I think it's good that Uber and Lyft are there because, like I said before, transportation is uh, it's tough in LA, so we mm -hmm. need that. Yeah. So, that makes sense. Uh, I, I don't know if they would have went away with it. That that's the only thing is like if um, if it I think it passed pretty right if I remember correctly it passed pretty by pretty heavily right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone was yeah, behind so, it pretty much. Yeah. So I I don't know if they would have even left if it wouldn't have. That would have been interesting though. Uh, but yeah, it's weird how those hidden details get put into things rather than I, I i it bothers me so much like i'm okay with like certain things being out there but they try to hide things all the time in politics and it just bothers me yeah i mean that's it's the easiest way for uh things to get passed is you kind of you're a little misleading and then everyone hops yeah. on board and then you kind of get to pass like certain things so yeah i mean in a way, I think esports is kind of like that too, isn't it? Where basically, like all of the PR notifications, stuff like that, it seems pretty straightforward, but it never is, is it? There's usually a hidden motive behind most things in esports. You like how I drew that over there? That was yeah. pretty good, right? That, that, was, was, that was a good connection. Good connection. Yeah. yeah. Um, so looking at New York City, you actually have a twin brother. I do uh, have a twin which brother. Is cool. I, I saw a picture, an earlier picture, and I will say you two look. Very, I don't know if you still look similar, like if one of you can grow facial hair or does, or if the other one can't, um, but you have a twin brother. Um, were you guys are like completely twins, like born at like seconds apart type twins? I actually was born four minutes before him, so oh. I, I, I won. That's very important, by the way. Yeah. Um, but we do look very similar. We're fraternal, actually. We're not identical, yeah. but everyone thought we were identical. Um, hmm. Now we now we look a little bit different, but we still look very similar. Okay. Uh, what does your brother do for a living? He uh, is a software engineer, and he works at an insurance company right now. Ooh, that is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily exciting being for an insurance company. That's kind of cool. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah. That, what What I find kind of interesting about that is both you and your brother uh, at least seem to be people who it, it looks like your life was something that was going to be successful no matter what. I know for a while you were thinking about becoming a doctor, uh, which I find fascinating. Did your parents push this like worth ethic on you guys growing up? Was it like, hey, you guys have to, you have to like strive for things? What was your life growing up with your parents? So I actually have two other brothers as well. So I have mm -hmm. my twin brother, Peter, and then I have an older brother, William, who's two years older than me. And then I have mm -hmm. another brother, Matthew, oh, wow. who's four years older than me. And... I don't think our parents really forced us to overwork at all. They were pretty, um, pretty lenient in just making sure that we're getting our work done and that mm -hmm. we're trying in school. And so it was kind of on us to not fall off the deep end. Um, but yeah, my all of my brothers are pretty successful in terms of like where they graduated from. Like my oh, oldest really? brother Matthew graduated from Yale. My second oh, damn. oldest brother William graduated from UPenn. Um, and then Peter, my twin brother, graduated from Middlebury, which is like an amazing liberal arts college. So they all are on like the path to success. And I just went into esports, which was very worrying for my parents. Um, yeah, I, especially when you got it, you got to do it pretty, pretty early. Like I think LCS was around a little bit. It wasn't the same LCS. It wasn't like 
uh the the franchise leagues that we have now i i believe yeah no because i remember uh, phoenix one still being involved and there were still relegations and stuff like that which made oh, yeah. uh I, I remember negotiating for my uh i negotiated hard to get my 500 dollar a month contract Ooh, um, ooh, it, that was that juicy juicy yeah, it was it was nice <laughs> God, that's it's so weird how League of Legends has how far it's come. If you look at it like now, it's kind of crazy uh, how how much it is. It is went from no, like almost uh, nothing to like looked upon or looked down upon to now it's like you will make more than a doctor, like some doctors or nurses or some like engineer. You are you're potentially making more depending on what you're doing. In League of Legends for coaching, I'm or at least head coaching, I'm pretty sure you're probably making more than most engineers. Um, in Overwatch, not so much guaranteed. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's, that's an interesting thing there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's come so honestly. Um, it really hit me at... When was the last World Finals in China? It was I think it was 2017. I was actually there at the World Finals in like yeah. the Beijing Olympic Stadium. And it was packed. And like they had this amazing intro with the Elder Dragon. And I'm just sitting mm -hmm. there. And it's like, this is so crazy that esports has gotten this big. We're literally in the Olympic Stadium. It's sold out. Everyone's going crazy. And I remember just like, I don't know, just playing video games growing up and liking it. And it's just so crazy that like something yeah. that is so enjoyable that brings people together um, is finally this accepted. And I just, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's wonderful. What did your parents do growing up? Like what did they do for a living? Um, so they both worked in finance. Um, my mom put herself through college. Um, she had i mean she she had a parent which didn't really believe that uh women should go to college so she had to oh, put wow. herself through college which is pretty amazing and then yeah. she uh formed like a really nice career for herself at bank of america and now she's like one of the uh, female leaders in terms of uh educating some of the women of like women in power like how to um you know be successful and kind of uh, tear down the barriers so well, that's awesome and then my dad has been working in finance, um, pretty sure pretty much his whole life. And he's there, uh, he's still working. So mm -hmm. was finance ever something you were like, you know what I want to do with my life? I want to do finance. Or is it the exact opposite where you're like, I never want to touch finance in my whole goddamn life. I mean, I think working in business sounds really interesting. It's just, mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It, it just it just sucks that you can only kind of choose like a few specific things to go into. Because obviously, like I'd want to try being a doctor. I'd want to try being in esports. I'd want to try uh, going into business. I want to try like being a lawyer. But like you just don't have enough opportunity to do all of that. So you just have mm -hmm. to pick what you think you're going to enjoy the most, and that is somewhat stable. How do you do that at the age of I don't know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen? Like, yeah, for me, it doesn't make hard. any sense. I think college is, a, is a, I don't want to say, scam is probably not the right word, um, though in America, maybe it is because of how much you have to pay. Uh, but uh, maybe false expectations. You're basically taught that you always, like, your only path to success, at least I was taught at, through school and stuff, is through college, right? Um, and, but it doesn't really tell you, like, what is it you're going to want to do? What decision are you going to make that is going to, you're going to be happy with the next, what, fucking 70 years of your life? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's impossible. I mean, it really is impossible. Also, because it's really hard to tell um, when you're like 16 or 17, whether you're actually like 
good at something. Like yeah. the, you, everyone obviously hears about like the professional league players that you know drop out of high school and then they make it and they go pro. But there are so many people that try to do that and they just don't make it. And it's not even just league, like basketball, football, like yep. every single sport. There are tons and tons of people, even artists, uh, trying to make music. Um, it's just such like a a popular thing for everyone or everyone wants to do it. And we hear the success stories, but they're obviously like, it's a separate side of the coin. So it's really, really risky. I wouldn't say I recommend it, but there are better paths now. Like uh, I know Clerky at Maryville, there's yep. an amazing eSport uh, collegiate programs coming out, which are going to make it a more stable path where you can actually get your degree while, you know, working on your mechanics, working on your team play, working on uh, your League of Legends skills. And then after that, um, you can try to look to go pro if you still want to. Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably what I would recommend too is going to college. I most people when they say, "Hey, sh- like, how do I get into esports or should I get into?" I almost always tell them, "You sh- you shouldn't." Like I I like like you just shouldn't. You should find I I I've always said I think it's better to to have a different path that works out inside transition into esports. If you <laughs> I think that is a much safer it's, bet. It's a way more stable. I will agree yeah. with that. Um, yeah, and that, that's what I did too. So like, that's why I, I feel like maybe I do recommend that is because I think that you don't hear about the horror stories and there's got to be, for every one success story, there's got to be thousands of horror stories yeah, that just for sure. don't work out. Yeah. So when you were growing up, growing up, if I can talk, when you were growing up, you obviously chose to, to, to go to school um, very briefly to uh, go to university before you switched into League of Legends. Um, but going through high school, how did you come to the decision that, you know what, I want to be a, a doctor? Honestly, I was always really good at just math and science. So mm-hmm. I always wanted to do something science related, whether it's uh, physics or biology or yeah. chemistry, but chemistry never seemed as exciting to me. Um, but obviously, when I went applied to go to college, I'm looking at the possibilities um, I don't know, being a doctor really stood out for me. Um, I was also <laughs> a big fan of Scrubs. So obviously trying to be a doctor because my favorite show. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's a combination of helping people, a combination of figuring stuff out because I want to be the person that diagnoses. So the person that comes in, uh, asks for all the symptoms, family history, combines that, and then orders tests based on um, like a logical thinking process. Yeah. So that's the thing that kind of pulled me the most is just um, I can help people. I can use my analytical thinking, which is what I like to do, and I can feel fulfilled. Okay. It's interesting how close those almost like a base ideas actually relate to League of Legends. Like all of those things kind of still apply. Have you always been someone, though, that that wants to help people? Has that been something that you you've kind of always been? Um, I'm not sure, maybe probably not all the time, but it's always felt good. I mean, I think everyone feels good when they help someone, Mm -hmm. um, but it's nice to be able to be proud of what you do, which Mm -hmm. for me, which I've learned even more as I've gotten older is very important to me is just to make sure that, um, you're proud of where you are uh, or what you've accomplished professionally or health wise or something like you need something in life that's giving you confidence and Mm -hmm. um for me taking that confidence from my professional accomplishments and like my work ethic is uh definitely important Mm -hmm. 
So you go to uh, be a doctor. Did you? Was it just easy to pick the school? Was it like, oh yeah, Cornell? I'm in. I'm going to Cornell. Um. Well, my dad went to Cornell, so it was something where it would be cool to go there too, um, mm-hmm. as a as a fa- father son dynamic. Um, but they also have really good programs. And um, in terms of the specific college at Cornell that I applied to, it was very open in the sense where I obviously have to take my core classes, but I had a lot of freedom in other classes that I can take. And so if I wanted to take a few classes in computer science while I'm you know, going through my biology degree, um, or if I wanted to, at the time I took a three years of ancient Greek in high school. Yeah. So I was like, if I wanted to keep learning ancient Greek in college, I'd be able to do that while um, Is being it like a history pre-med. or like language? No, legit the ancient Greek language. You you learned ancient Greek language. Yeah. Was, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, Latin and ancient Greek. Really? Has that ever been useful? No. Okay. <laughs> oh. Never know. I don't know. One day, maybe you say some ancient Greek philosophy state like statement to like some player or something, and then they're like, "What does that mean?" And you, you give this like huge uh, philosophical monologue, and it changes their life uh, profusely. Or so. I don't know. Maybe one, maybe once every year, I'll hear a word that I don't know in, like the English meaning, and I'll be like, "Maybe maybe it came from this," and then there's like a fifty percent chance it actually did. Oh, okay, okay. What, so that's as, that's as far as it comes. What made you so interested in ancient Greek language? That's such an odd, like an odd thing. Like, I hated speaking and learning French, and so I wanted to switch. And ancient Greek seemed appealing because I already started taking Latin, and I like Latin. And because Latin, once again, is just since I don't have to speak it, it's very just you know the rules, you know uh, what you see in front of you. It's just logic and analytical thinking, and then you can figure out based on the endings and like matching everything up and ancient Greek is very similar. So I don't have to worry about speaking it. It's just kind of like a puzzle and you solve it. Interesting. Interesting. Huh? Do you view players kind of like that as a puzzle you need to solve sometimes? Uh, I guess. I mean, I don't think I've ever actually thought of them specifically as a puzzle, but now that you mention it, I'm sure everyone could be considered a puzzle. So yeah, I mean, I view people as puzzles, so that's that's why I was kind of because you like puzzles so much, and so I wasn't sure if you're like, oh, this is the one thing that I need to do to make this player better, or if you look at like, I mean, I imagine you probably do analytically analytically break down. Okay, here's the weak spots. Here's what we need to do to fix. I'm sure that you probably do that. Yeah, uh, or even just like personality wise, like some yeah. players are. Uh, I'd call them like confidence players where mm-hmm. you need to make sure that their confidence is always high because as soon as they start to doubt themselves and like they play badly, whereas other players, they can kind of deal with that heat and that criticism and use mm-hmm. that to feel themselves. So they're yeah. definitely, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like every player is wired differently and you have to figure out um, the proper way to get the result. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, we're going to, I'm going to delve into more of your coaching philosophy. I'm very excited about that because um, I had a few head coach or like coaches on here, and it's always interesting mm-hmm. to see how they differ in like uh, philosophy with uh, coaching. So I, I'm very excited to get into that. So looking at just finishing up like your college, you're in college, okay, and you're obviously playing League of Legends. At what mm-hmm. point do you say, you know what I want to do, mom and dad? I want to drop out and go to California and and live there. Well, actually, after a year and a half of college, I got suspended for not getting amazing grades. 
Oh, so, wait, wait, wait. Now we have to go back and ask a follow up. Why weren't you getting, was it just too much partying? Were you just having too much fun? Like a combination of hanging out with friends and playing League of Legends. Um, so, and then I dropped out. I told my parents they were honestly pretty accepting. Like it happens. They weren't like super pissed. Obviously they were upset. Okay. Um, but they wanted me to like go go back so obviously the way to get back into college um is you get suspended for a year and then you kind of you don't really apply back in but you got you just make your case and they usually bring you back in as yeah. long as you're not wasting your time so i took some classes at nyu i took some classes at the community college i think it was hunter and um but honestly at that point i really wanted to go into league of legends so mm-hmm. i would constantly ask my parents about doing that and they were against it and yeah, there's this whole thing, and I don't know At if we should. Point, get, I don't they, know if you want to get into that. I do. I do kind of want because I. I think that uh, the reason I want to is because I don't think people see a lot of this side, like the the cost sometimes of trying to do things and the negative side that can be there, and a lot of times it ends up working out for those success stories. But if you don't like it, it should be another thing that yeah. am I willing to risk this level of thing before I make this decision? Yeah. So. So yeah, my parents wanted me to get back into Cornell and I didn't want to do that. I want to play league. And so I would constantly, you know, ask them. I think they took away my laptop. I didn't have a computer. I just had like a, there was like a family computer that obviously was in the middle of everything. So they would make sure I wasn't playing games. And so the only way I can play League of Legends was to sneak into the NYU computer lab and download League of Legends, which I had to do every day because the computer's reset. And so I'd sit there for like an hour downloading League of Legends, and then I'd be able to play. And then um, obviously, like I'd leave eventually. Um, but yeah, my, my parents are very much against it. There's one point where I, <laughs> they're watching this, so they don't actually know this part. But I told them that I was leaving to, you know, live at a, I don't know if it was Airbnb or something. I don't know, but yeah. you know, just like not live with them because they were not they were not for it. But I actually didn't live anywhere. I was like homeless for like a week or two, and I was oh really. And so the hardest part about that is just honestly getting sleep because I would you know like I said I'd sneak into NYU computer lab. I would play league. I'd grind, try to get good, get better at the game, and there's nowhere you can sleep. So I'd like try to like sneak into, you know, like the lobbies of colleges, but they'd kick you out. So the, the best thing, the best solution I found was to sneak into a classroom at like 2 AM and sleep there for like four hours and then uh, get up and like go about your day. You, um, you were like, wait, you, I, you were actually like legit homeless. Like you were, you were just like, a, a nomad person you were walking around you would go to the computer lab play league of legends and then probably- yeah, and then, I, and then i spent like two dollars at mcdonald's they had a deal at the time where you get your receipt and then with your receipt you fill out a survey online and then you get like a free sandwich with that so i would get like their double quarter pounder and then get a second double quarter pounder for free and then that's what i'd eat the whole day jesus christ that, i mean that that's insane for league of legends right like that just sounds I, like there are more stories coming up like even uh like especially in like for like some chinese players and korean players where their parents yeah. are against it of of kids doing like similar things so more yeah. stories are popping up 
slowly i just i you don't hear about it a lot in uh in na i think uh as much you don't hear about that level of i'm willing to take that was it at the time was it worth it like how did you get through the days being like yeah i'm like did you think about it at all or was it just like this is whatever like i because my thought would have been like jesus christ i'm homeless what the fuck am i gonna do with my life also if your parents are watching i'm sorry i swear a lot okay um i apologize in advance um oh the question how did i get through the day yeah like like how are you not thinking about what am i gonna do for like my living situation um well i had some money um obviously not a lot and then i mean i ended up getting rank one so it was pretty easy to justify in my head that it was working and yeah. then after that um, my friend Sam, who was on an amateur team called Gamester Gear at the time, um, mm -hmm. he messaged me and he was like, yo, do you want to play on my challenger team? Like, you obviously seem like you're a good player and you're new. So if you want, like, come to the West Coast. And so instantly I'm like, all right, I'm fucking going to the West Coast and bought a ticket, lived with him and his uh, mom and like a three-year-old kid in um in a, this like in like this tiny house with no ac the internet had packet loss oh. um it was a disaster but it was so much fun it was like just such an amazing experience to just be living with other people with the same passion that i have for the game and who just legitimately are giving it all to the game without yeah. like looking back at other things because obviously we're eating like one or two mcchickens a day we don't really have any money but we're just playing league of legends so it yeah great. i mean it's crazy how far league has come like you tell that story i i can't imagine like you ever hear your I, I i just couldn't imagine you not doing this uh, so correct me if i'm wrong but like you know how like players occasionally complain about like how things are going or like oh my god i have it so hard and you're ever like you know what back in my day okay i was homeless for two weeks Okay, I, I snuck into a computer lab, I played video games, and I made it rank one to get on a team, okay? So let's not complain here, because I feel like <laughs> I would. I would, just, I would just have to. It'd be yeah. like your stereotypical back-in-my-days meme. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, eventually I did go back home, because honestly, I was exhausted. Because like yeah. I said, like it's impossible to sleep. And at that, at that point, my parents, I think they understood that they couldn't stop me from trying to do it, and so yeah. they just let me do it. So... I did end up getting rank one under the comfort of my parents' apartment, um, but it was after they realized that like they couldn't stop me from mm -hmm. trying. Did you guys have a conversation? Did you work through that? Um, I'm not sure at the time if we sat down and had a conversation, um, mm. but it, it, I think it was pretty implied that they were kind of accepting of it at the time. They They would obviously... But like if we like say after I moved to the West Coast, like every month or so, whenever they would br they would bring up like, have you thought about going back to college and like all this stuff? Um, and but that's just I mean, that's just responsible parent stuff, right? Like yeah. you see your kid doing something that's obviously completely unstable. It's very foreign territory at the time. It's not like players were getting paid a lot, like the best players in NA were making like 5k a month so it's like the best player is making 60k a year like it doesn't even seem like yeah. the risk is worth it um yeah so mm -hmm. when you when you went to live over in california was that was it just like bye mom bye dad i'm peacing out have fun was that was that like how that conversation went or did they like well I, i'm trying to remember i i think i just told them that i was going and 
I don't think they tried to stop me. I like like I said, I think they yeah. realized that they couldn't mm-hmm. stop me from trying to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. So at that point they were trying to be supportive. Mm-hmm. I I did you ever think it would get to where it is today? Like looking back then, like moving to like did you have like hopes and dreams that it would be as big as like football? Yeah, of course. I mean to me, esports is it's just it's a sport. There's no difference. Yeah. Like I I hate the argument when people are like, you're just watching people play games. Yeah, like, why don't you play argument. games yourself? And it's like, you're just watching people play football. Why don't you play football yourself? Like, it's literally the yeah. same thing. And more and more people are enjoying watching, enjoying playing. And mm-hmm. it just seemed obvious to me that eventually, as long as I got over the stigma of being like, a, just, just video games to like yeah. the older population, then it's just going to be considered a normal sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's still a risk, though, because you don't know if it's going to happen. And God, it's crazy. Do you ever look back now and think I was insane? Like, I was insane to do this? Yeah, of course. I mean, like I said, I wish that I could try all the different paths because yeah. at this point, I would I could be graduated with college with like a computer science degree or mm-hmm. I could. I mean, I'm 28. I could already be a doctor, to be honest, like I legit. Yeah. Um, all these different paths I could already know the answers to, but I'm glad that I did something that I would probably regret not trying. Yeah. And even though I had mixed results as a player, overall, it was a fun, it was a fun yeah. journey. Did you ever think like now, now that you are 20, we're actually the same age, by the way. Um, uh, do you ever think now, like maybe I'll go back to school? Is there, are, are you still like super passionate about League of Legends? Or do you ever think of like, maybe there's these other paths that I want to explore now? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think about that at the end of every year, um, just because it's so insanely stressful being in esports. It is. Um, it's it's very unstable. Even the best coaches and players, it's unstable. Like Reaper just now got yep. let go, even though he's like the most decorated NA coach in the past few years. So it's just something where it's very very high stress. It's very rewarding at times, and yeah, I mean, it's. I'd be lying if I said like it. I don't look at other options to be like maybe I should like go back to college. Maybe I should like mm-hmm. learn how to code. Um, maybe I should go into business side of league. Like there's so many different more stable options. Um, but obviously there's always a pull to be on the competitive side of uh, anything. Uh huh. Do you think you're going to be one of those people who always tries for the uh, the competitive like being in coaching until you can't do it anymore, until you can't get a job anymore? Or are you going to eventually get to a point you think where you're like, you know what, I'm going to stop while I'm ahead and I'm going to jump into this other thing? I'm not sure. Um, I, I think it's it's hard to answer that question because, like I said, like every year I do no. weigh weigh my options and kind of figure out what I want to do. Um, but it does seem like every year there's more of a pull to do something more stable than there mm-hmm. is to stay in uh, the competitive side, just because I've already had like highs and lows. So like, I've already experienced so much of it that it's not like too new to me besides yeah. like winning like a championship. That would be like the only thing that's new. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that makes sense. This brings me to another very interesting question. Then, um, kind of looking at the player side and you being a coach. Um, do you think that, there is an age out of players. I know this gets brought up all the time that, hey, uh, you see both sides. Either people are too old to be playing anymore or uh, there's no reason why people can't be older and still playing. Um, Do you think that there is an age out? Yes, but it's much higher than people think. And and it varies per role. 
because obviously <laughs> like mid lane and ADC they're more mechanically intensive and yeah. even even like people meme about support but some support matchups you have to have like really precise fingers and stuff um, but there are some roles that are just way more brain oriented and it's way more important to have like such a depth of knowledge than it is to actually be super pre precise with your fingers and if you watch like the um, like e even at worlds like yeah there are some like skill gaps but for the most part like the best teams just they just play good league like they don't really do anything yeah. special they just follow the rules they pick the correct champions when they need to and they just follow the basic fundamental rules of the game and get a win without doing anything too crazy and obviously every few games might be like a pop-off play but for the yeah. most part it's just you know just just play play the matchup correctly you don't need amazing fingers to do that um so so i do think there is an age cutoff but it's it's definitely not as young as people think it is like where, what where do you think it is like if you had to just guess um do you think I it's think, in the 30s i think it's probably early 30s um okay. but so i think that's fair i've always thought that it isn't necessarily mechanics that's what's the the thing that stops the age i think it's that as people get older they want more stability because uh, they realize as they're getting older, like, hey, I might want something that is uh, yeah, more stable. And, and, and I and like the hours, like that is one of the things I've always said with esports is physical sports has a physical limitation that is a lot easier to see and say, hey, we need to stop at this point. I don't think esports really has that. And it's really hard to draw that line. And I think it's also individual where that line is for each individual player. So yeah, I, I completely it, agree with that. It makes it so hard to judge hey, where is this? So I think it's more of like like an age. It's not because they physically can't do it. It's because it, and I, I feel like it's so weird that we, we're like, oh, these players are too old. It's, it completely depends on the player and how much they want to keep putting in because it's that mental line that they're able to draw and that changes. So it's it's fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I mean, you said it exactly. Like if you're, <laughs> if you're coaching a basketball team, there's a physical limit to how many hours of basketball you can play a day. Like, yep. obviously, afterwards you can still take your shots and you can take your free throws and practice that stuff. But for the most part, you can't just be playing basketball for 16 hours a day. But yeah. for League of Legends, you can. And so, um, a lot of people were very surprised about Bjergsen's retirement. But but yeah. to me, um, it's not that surprising because he literally pours his entire life. Like he's been credited for his amazing work, work ethic and. Then you look back on it and it's like, wow, probably for the past seven years, like he's really ha hasn't had a time to just be a person. Like he just plays it's League been of longer Legends. longer than that, hasn't it? it? It's been a long time. and Yeah, it's been insanely long. And so it doesn't surprise me that he eventually just, he, he wants to be able to live the other parts of his life. So <laughs> it, 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 burnout is just so relevant in the sport for the reasons you said. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we're going to see more people doing these turns or retiring? Like, because there's some older players um if you look at look at all of the scenes um do you expect to see more transitions kind of like bjergsen where they they jump into maybe coaching roles or management or they just completely retire yeah i, I think there's probably a new wave of players coming um not only because like every year like the new players are better and better um yeah. but yeah j just for reasons like you said like we are the average age of an lcs player is getting older because obviously they're keeping a lot of like the older players do and eventually um the more successful players they they're going to want to move on to do other things like they don't want to be in front of their computer for 16 hours a day for 10 years straight like it's very mm -hmm. it's very mentally taxing yeah 
So one of the things I wanted to ask you is you were a player. Um, you gave up playing to coaching. Um, why do you give up playing? Did you feel like you couldn't cut it anymore? Was there a point where you're like, I'm done? Is like, what was the reason that you quit the the playing yeah. side? There, there were mixed reasons. Um, well, when I was a player, there, the infrastructure was very poor. Yeah, I would say that there were. I didn't really have any tools to improve myself as a player, and mm -hmm. I didn't really see myself improving over the course of my like two year quest to go professional. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know. It, it just seemed kind of like an endless fight because, like I already said, like there weren't many tools for me to actually improve. Like I was, I obviously subbed my games in LCS. I uh, played an international tournament, and then I was the captain of the amateur team in 2015 for CLG. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have any, really any resources to improve. And so I kind of wanted to make that transition to the coaching side because it just seemed impossible to me that um, the teams were so poorly educated in terms mm -hmm. of just their short-term and long-term growth, just as like players and as teams. So I, I just knew that it, I knew I could change it. I knew that I could help players improve. Okay, so that's what you knew. That do you feel like that is true? Like you talked about, like looking back at legacies. Do you feel like you're able to change that stuff as a coach? Because from my perspective, I would say that I don't think we're quite there yet, and I don't think a, a, a coach is high enough to make those long-term decisions when it comes to what we've seen with like teams and management and all of that stuff. Do you feel like you have that level of control as a coach? Um, I think like gameplay education in terms of the game. Yes. In terms of direction for the org, no. Okay. I think for, for the most part, orgs have their own business plan that they can choose to tie the coach into, but for the most part, it's their vision. And then they... Shouldn't those things go together, though? Shouldn't those things be kind of synonymous? I mean, I, I think yes. Most most sports, most physical sports would say yes. Um, they usually bring in a coach yeah. who has a vision. And then if the vision doesn't work out over the course of a few years, then yeah. they'll move on to the next coach because the project didn't work. But in esports, it's more just like short term goals, like get get the wins, get the dubs, um, get your bigger slice of the esports pie. And like uh, that that's what they're going for. They're, they're not really going for the multi-year project of like trusting someone they hire to just head the project. Mm -hmm. If you know that as a coach, does that change the way that you you pick players? Does that change the way that you're going to be built? Because you, you basically have to be thinking short-term, right? There's no other way around it. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it's slightly better now that spring split doesn't matter as much because you can take more risks yeah. when you're building rosters in the beginning. You can take someone who's not proven and kind of build them up spring split and then summer split, they might be uh, ready to make like a run to Worlds. Um, but yeah, when since every org goes into the split or almost every org and they're like, the goal is to make Worlds and then you're hit with a roster that is probably not a Worlds roster. Like you have to make the best out of it. And yeah, you have to make decisions to try to make their, their goals come true. Mm -hmm. It's got to be insanely stressful with how much the game changes then. I don't think, I, I would say that League of Legends doesn't change as much as like Overwatch. That was one of the things that we always struggled with in Overwatch is the game changes so, so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, like they would do, like basically you, you played four different games over the, when I was doing, when I was coaching because um, we had uh, uh, four different uh, like quarters um, and the game was like a completely different game every single time and it was like, 
every six weeks yeah. the game was a new game and you were like well we have to relearn the entire game now basically um, so it's not quite but it's still pretty bad from what i've heard the, the, it still changes and those changes uh have drastic effects on uh maybe who's going to be a better player like depending on how uh play styles change that's got to be incredibly stressful to deal with yeah, it, it, it is pretty stressful because um, like you said, a lot of players have different strengths and weaknesses and sometimes you'll have assassins in the mid lane, sometimes you'll have control mages, sometimes you'll have um, more mechanically intensive champions and um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it puts a lot of stress on the players too because then they really need to be this uh, jack of all trades. They have to be able to have these big champ pools, understand the different styles, understand the way that um, their playstyle might have to change based on the evolving meta. So it's something that is tough because a lot of esports orgs don't have like such an extended um, roster. Like you usually yeah. have your five players and that's what you have to work with. And the meta could change. It might be really good for you or it might be really bad for you. And you still have to work through that and make sure that um, even though a player is weak at that specific style, like th that's what you have and you have to help that player improve. So it's mm -hmm. very stressful. It just seems really hard to set like any sort of goals when it could. It, doesn't, it honestly doesn't matter what goals you like. If the if if you know, it's like the goalposts keep changing. It's like you set a goal and then Riot all of a sudden it's like, oh, guess what? We're making these changes. Good luck with your goalposts. Yeah. Um. I always joke about it in terms of basketball. Like, imagine if every two weeks they're like. Well, three pointers are getting a little OP here. We're moving the line back four inches. And it's like, well, too many points. So we're actually making the rim smaller. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's just like, how is that going to impact the game? And you have to try to figure that out as a team. Like players are heavily involved too. It's like, how do you think it's going to affect top lane? And they're like, uh, well, now that this champion is got buffed, um, I actually need to be proficient on this champion who's a counter yeah. and like all this other stuff. So mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's fun though. It's a, uh, it's a puzzle. <laughs> it, it is a puzzle. Uh, this brings me to, uh, like, I have a couple of questions. I'm sorry if these are hard-hitting questions, Thomas, okay? I'm sorry. All right, okay. Um, a lot of the results, I would say, fall on the coach's head. Do you think that, because I, I, I mean, it seems both internally and externally, but definitely externally, it seems that uh, at least the outside world will pretty much always blame the head coach for results. Um, I it sound... It, Looks like it happens on the in, <laughs> intern too, uh, like yeah. internal. Uh, but how much of that is, do you think is really, uh, I, I don't know, acceptable? Like how much can we actually blame a head coach? Because from what you just said now, players seem to have uh, at least a large amount of say. Um, coach probably has final say, obviously. But I've talked to other coaches too that have basically said that um, coaches have a significant amount of power or players have a significant amount of power in like the decision making that kind of happens. So how much do you think is uh, correctly attributed to blame coaches? Like was Reaper really the one at fault? Um, obviously, I don't know the specific details of yeah, yeah. the Reaper situation. I did work for him four years ago and he seemed like a good coach, um, but things change. So I do think that the coach does have responsibility on his shoulders. When you take the job, you're kind of accepting the risks that go yeah. along with what goals the org has set up. Um, but obviously, it's there are a lot of decisions that aren't completely up to the coach. Um, and it's like like roster formation, like I said, like in an ideal world, 
the coaches seem like they would know, like the coaches, the analysts, that they have scouters. It seems like they would know the space in terms of how to build a competitive team better than um, like uh, other people in the organization. So if those people are uh, implemented in the process, it seems like it would be a better process. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there are a lot of decisions that aren't 100% up to the coach. And from the outside, it seems like it should be the coach's decision because that's how it works in baseball. It's how it works in yeah. in basketball and in football. And so from the public perspective, it's um, it's like, well, why did that happen? It's probably the coach because that's how it works in these other sports. Um, so I don't blame the public for thinking that. It's just something yeah. where the space is very young. And eventually uh, the people at the top are going to start to trust the people they hire and the coaches are going to have more say and it's going to be a more smooth process overall. Um, but we're definitely not there yet. Yeah. I, I find that fascinating. So I, I guess this was the, one of the things I wanted to ask is how much does a coach really have in this? And I imagine this changes team by team, but in your experience, how much does a coach have in say terms of like picking the roster and stuff like that? How much can we attribute to like, Oh, this is a coach or how much of it is based on like a team's marketing? Like, Hey, we need this player because it's going to be, cause that's, that's a part of it. And I feel like if people ignore that marketing is kind of an important aspect, um, like how much of it falls on that? Would you say? Yeah. So it definitely, changes drastically team to team. Um, there are there are obviously different ways to run an esports org. And yeah. I feel like that's the best way to answer this question without uh, me saying things that are bad. But um, so there are, there's obviously the winning, like you can get your bigger slice of the pie by winning the yeah. G2 way, the TL way. You just get the best players, you win, you get a bigger chunk of the pie. So Obviously, League of Legends, just think of it as a pie. Every team has their own slice. And the whole pie is growing because esports is getting bigger. And so you're just competing with each other to either maintain a piece of the pie or get a bigger slice of the pie. And so TL and G2, they're winning. They're getting a bigger slice of the pie. The other option you can do if you're like, you know what? We're probably not going to win. And um, we don't really want to spend the money in that direction is to get... um, players with branding and so you get players with a lot of followers you get players that have a big reach with fans and that way you can get a bigger slice of the pie by if you're not the best team if you're still like top five you'll still get good impressions you'll still get uh your bigger slice of the pie and so those are like the two main ways to do it and yeah it's kind of up to the org which which path they want to take obviously as a coach i'd prefer to do the winning path but it's not uh (laughs) it's not that simple sometimes Mm-hmm. do you ever get into a like have you ever gotten into a situation where you didn't have as much choice and you're like wow like it seems like you'd almost be set up for failure depending on the expectation unless the expectations were hey you don't have to worry about winning which i don't think any team ever thinks about okay i'd be very surprised if Virgil, listen you don't have to worry about winning do the best you can have fun good luck this is what we're giving you we know it's it kind of sucks but just whatever you i feel like that never happens um, that would be interesting if it did, but I don't think it does. Um, do you ever feel like, wow, my expectations like early on are going to be really hard? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, that's I'm pretty sure most uh, people in esports ha- have that feeling um, just yeah. because, like I already said, it seems like every year, for the most part, um, teams are expecting 
who they hired to go to Worlds, and that's obviously not the case. Only three teams are going to Worlds, and from like I said, people on the inside they usually have a pretty good idea of the teams that can be contenders to go to Worlds, and it yeah. very often does not line up with the expectations of the upper management. Yeah, and there's probably I imagine that there's got to be a, a price aspect to that too, like. The, the teams that are willing to spend X amount of money probably have a significantly better chance at making those three. It's, there's probably some correlation to money spending too. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure this, I think it was the last two years actually, if you just rank the teams based on how much money they spent, it's like pretty much exactly the standings. Um, there are some outliers. I think Golden Guardians this year was like an outlier. They performed really well based on their budget. Um, but But for the most part, it is like pretty just Spend money, do better. That is, does that ever do? You, like people always talk about like esports bubbles. Does that does that something that ever scares you as a coach? Right? Like, wow, the only way you can do this is by spending more money. And so there's either going to be a point where teams are like, okay, I'm not willing to spend more money, which I don't know if has happened yet, based on the fact that Jensen has what a four point two million dollar contract over three years. Yeah, that sounds like that increased spending there. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Um, but I, do you do you ever worry that hey this is this is insane where we're getting at because it, it doesn't seem like there's good ROI. Um, do you ever worry yeah. about that? Um, I guess I worry about it a little bit, but it's still like if you look at the valuations of the companies, they're going yeah. up, they're going a lot higher too. So even though yeah. the salaries are like getting just getting bigger at an insane mm-hmm. rate, like the, you are getting better valuations for the companies. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that the step to kind of get rid of spending money equals wins is just starting to listen to the people that you hire because that's like the best the best chance you have to um, like, you know, play the money ball game to, to get players that are undervalued because then mm-hmm. you're on the inside and you know the players undervalued. Whereas like from the outside, they just kind of like just like pay based on like a, a hierarchy that like is pretty like publicly well known. Like you don't get like the, the individual details. This is an interesting question then for me. Do you think that the money ball aspect can be done in esports? Because I have a lot of coaches who say that it can't be done, that you can't you can't money ball your way into a win. Um it's it's harder just because I I do think there is a what's the word? There, there there's a great a greater spread of talent like yeah. in in a scene whereas like like in lcs if you're looking at it like there are they're very clearly like the best players like middle of the pack and ones at the bottom so it is harder to like get like a an unseen gem but there are aspects that you can play money ball in like um i'm gonna bring golden guardians up again like they did they did a really good job like they brought in closer they brought an fbi they're both um very very talented players for cheap that um performed like top players in their roles and so there are ways that you can work around the fact that like all these well-known players like everyone knows where they're at but you can like scout other regions you can bring in players that are less known and you can you can take those uh those risks to be able to make it so that you can actually like make a run and be one of the better teams with a lower budget Do you think that um like cuz the, the the main thing that like moneyball uses is different statistics Right, like that's the principle behind Moneyball is that yeah, you, like you rank on it based percentage on percentage and all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all that stuff. But a lot of people say that, that doesn't work really work for League, as well as the fact that because the game changes, uh, the valuation that you might put on each of those statistics also changes, like every time that a, a patch basically happens. Do you think that statistics are useful in League of Legends? 
Yes, it's very unexplored. I think that in a few years, the t- statistics that are going to be developed are going to be very useful. But right now, the t- statistics in League are pretty garbage. Like, it's just like, what's the dragon percentage this team has? Yeah. And it's like, well, usually when they're winning, they're taking dragons. Like, it's it just like, it, it matches up. And so there are things that are pretty good now, which is like jungle proximity, uh, you know, getting like specific... Uh, specific maps like heat maps of like where where players are like tendencies like how does a team uh like control its ways before dragons uh before Mm -hmm. objectives but in terms of like raw statistics that are like really really useful they don't exist too much so i'm expecting that to get a lot better i'm hoping that teams are going to put a lot more effort into building those statistics out especially this year there's going to be uh more information on that too available to the teams so it's really important that teams actually understand like this is literally yeah like the future of analytics in gaming and they have to jump on this or else they're going to be like very far behind like and very at a, at a very big competitive disadvantage from the orgs that are going to be putting in resources to developing the statistics mm-hmm. so i guess that is this like na's hope is this where, like, maybe eventually they get the statistics here and they, they have people who build this? Because right now, <laughs> maybe. I, like, I've always kind of, like, you look at, uh, like, EU and their ability to take, like, rookies and their rookies end up doing, like, very, very well. But you don't really see that in NA happen that much. I don't know if it has as much to do with the talent pool um, or the fact that, like, I don't, I don't they just, they're, they want to spend on, like, no yeah. talent. I don't really know. Um, do you think that this maybe pushes NA to, to be to be better to have hope is there hope does this give hope because right uh, now there's no uh, hope okay so we're trying to give hope um i mean hopefully like because na always have more money maybe they'll get better that's uh, not very confident but i mean if you're talking about just talent overall it were if you just rank the regions by server population like it's it's pretty spot on like uh was it like china korea Europe all have like a lot more than NA. NA has like, was it two thirds of the players as EU? Um, so just inherently, you're going to have a smaller talent pool in terms of uh, players that can compete at like the highest level. Um, and then like, there's also the whole culture part, which is, is definitely, there's definitely some truth to that where um, it's not, I would say the culture is not as competitive in the sense where, um, like how how badly a player wants to win in terms of like a yeah. team a team culture doesn't seem as prevalent as when um say a, like a different or a different uh org from a different region so yeah. that's like a whole problem in itself as well mm-hmm. it's very interesting because you know what i find very fascinating about that is generally speaking from what i've heard eu teams spend a lot less than na teams so it seems like that isn't something you can buy you can't buy a level of drive necessarily it feels like or at least na teams haven't figured out how to do it yet um so yeah it's, 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 uh, fascinating. it's building a winning culture there's definitely like a a whole whole art to it that so, some orgs are i mean i'm pretty sure every org is trying trying it like yeah. as best that they can to try to get the right people in to build the winning culture it's just something that might take some time and it's like a combination of that with having like a smaller server population is it, it, it makes it hard to compete at an international level um, when the winning culture already exists at, in other regions and they yeah. have like a bigger talent pool. So, 
do you think that teams are more focused on like going to worlds or maybe it's going like I look at it seems from the outside perspective that teams are more focused on winning their region than they are necessarily about winning worlds. Like that seems like a like a better marketing move. Would you, would you think that that's an accurate assessment? Like, is that really the more important thing? Because it doesn't for seem NA? like they really for have, NA? yeah for NA for NA. Yeah, for NA. Because, well, it just seems very far fetched to win worlds yeah. unless like you have TL budget. But because um, yeah, that would explain uh, a lot of like the moves, like when people when they when they buy uh, like talent from other areas. It's not necessarily that they're looking to, it, it feels from the outside that they're not necessarily looking to win worlds. It's like, how do I compete in just my region? Like, that feels like where the bar is set, is how do I win the region? If we go to worlds, cool. If we do semi-okay at worlds and make it out of groups, we're like fucking ecstatic. Like, that's like the... Yeah, um, like, uh, yeah I agree. I mean, we, we already talked about the expectations that orgs have. Like, every org is coming into the split being like, our goal is to make it to worlds. And so, if your goal is to make it to worlds, are you really going to take the the 18 year old out of solo queue and try to train that guy to be good enough to help your team qualify for worlds. No, mm -hmm. like the, the safer thing, if the org really wants to try to make it to worlds and they're putting a lot of pressure on the people they hire to do that, then you pretty much don't have like the leeway to take risks like that. So you have to take players that are proven talent. They might not be the best, but yeah. you know what you're going to get and you can kind of build a system around that and try to rally the team to make a run to make it to Worlds. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, until the expectations are more... Uh, I don't reasonable? Say fair, yeah, more reasonable, then it's going to be a lot harder for orgs to be able to take those risks when all like the people at the top just want to make it to Worlds every single year. They don't want a rebuilding year. They just want yeah. to win. Mm-hmm. I had uh, James McCormick from Mad Lines on here, and one of the things that we kind of talked about was 10-man rosters, because uh, mm -hmm. that's one of the things he was like, this this sounds like it might be a solution, but he thinks it's functionally impossible to do, um, mostly because of the, the amount of coaches that you need that are all on the same page and equally skilled, as well as the just the resources in general to basically pay... 10 people who are five of them who are okay being like yeah, functionally exactly. substitutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he said that C9 was the only team that was kind of able to do it so far. Um, do you think that that's a correct assessment? Do you think, because everyone brings up, oh, you just need to get a 10 man roster. It's not really possible. Is it or plausible? I guess. Yeah. It's very unlikely that it will have a positive outcome when you have a 10 man roster. Um, the talent pool is small. So like, Already, if you're going to have players in Academy that like, most likely aren't going to give up an LCS offer to play in Academy, then they're not going to be better than some of the LCS players unless like it's getting someone from a smaller region so that they like want to play um, Academy to prove themselves and then go to LCS. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard. It's very... A lot of players are not super capable of performing their best when they know that someone else right next to them is like competing for the same spot. Um, which is like a very normal thing that happens in sports. Yeah. But in in esports, a lot of a lot of kids aren't growing up playing on teams. Like they they're not used to that type of pressure. They're not used to competing for the starting spot with someone right next to them that they're supposed to work with to get to improve to like both of them are supposed to work together to improve each other. Like they're supposed to try to get better together. Like that's mm -hmm. something that is new for a lot of uh, a lot of players coming into esports. Um. So it's there's just a lot of stress and. I, I do think it was a very good point where you need the entire staff on the same page. Like you need to be able to teach the same systems. You have to be able to teach uh, the, the same uh, uh, 
the same like macro strategies, the same communication structures. And to have an LCS team and an academy team on the same page is so hard because the levels of play in on both teams will be so much different. Like, it's really hard to implement the same structure. Mm-hmm. Looking at the, the player aspect and almost like, I guess, for lack of a better word, like the ego of like, I don't want to work with my enemy to mutually succeed. Do you think mm-hmm. that part of it has to do with like maybe the contract aspect, because even you mentioned being a coach, every year you're fucking terrified, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't know if you're going to have a job next year. Do you think that long-term contracts are like a solution to this, like signing like a guaranteed uh, tier-long contract where, hey, I'm I, I'm secure for two years. I know I'm secure. I can actually work with. Do you think that maybe that's something that would fix this problem, or do you think that's impossible because the game shifts so much that you don't necessarily want to keep a player for two years? Yeah, I mean there are some guaranteed contracts that have had mixed results. But for the most part, like a player usually isn't upset that he's moving to being moved to Academy because of salary and stuff like that. It's just because like as a player and as a coach, you have to think of your value as a stock. And so um, when you're, you know, performing well in LCS, performing well in Academy, it's going up. If you perform badly, it plummets really quickly. So like you really have to take advantage of your stock value when it goes up. And so even if you're having a 10-man roster, like you switch the guy from Academy into LCS, unless you have very transparent uh, social media, unless you have players being very vocal about the successful uh, system, then it's going to look badly on the player that's being pushed onto Academy. um, And it's going to hurt his stock value. And even if um, he's playing decently, it's going to negatively affect his career. So it's just... It's just a very tough situation. Um, for for the most part, I would say the only benefit of having like spending money on someone in a, like a spending money on an LCS caliber person for academy is when you just need someone to back up like a specific player in LCS who might have a a toxic personality so that you can like he at least knows that he has to be a better teammate or we have someone else that can come in and like sub in for scrims or even replace him if um, he's not like that uh, necessary level of a teammate. How do you go about changing this fundamental, it sounds like a cultural problem basically with like every, like it sounds like, like it's not a small like problem. It's a very, very big problem that seems to affect a widespread effect. Most players then um, that it's, like it's it's just a cultural aspect. How do you start to fix that? How do you get that to where you 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 can maybe because otherwise it seems like we're fucked. I'm not gonna lie. Like that's it feels like basically NA will probably never amount to very much. Like they just have so much going against them. Well, it, it just takes time, right? Like even look at look at FlyQuest. Like I would say it took them a while to figure out how to run an esports org. Yeah. Um, well, when I worked for them, it was just a coach and a manager, and that was the esports. Like, and then we had the five players, but after a few years, like they just got the finals twice. They have all of these, um, uh, fun charity things going on that are pulling in fans. They have really good system and infrastructure in terms of like the coaching staff and the players and like the type of a type of game they want to play. So, so it, it just takes time. Like, obviously it seems hopeless because there are a lot of orgs that are Mm -hmm. obviously don't have the best infrastructure, but it just it just takes time and eventually they will get there it's just it's just how long is it going to take right like is it going to be a few years is it going to be five years like do we have to wait for the people at the very top to be changed like it, that that's the question to me is like what how long is it going to take before orgs like understand that 
you're going to have rebuilding years. You're going to have years where you're performing really well, but then you might not be able to maintain the players after that for like a year because their stock value is going to be high and they're going to want to capitalize on getting a higher salary. So yeah. it's just it's just being realistic. So it seems like like most of it seems like it's upper management then. Like it seems like cuz it seems like you being a coach going in, you can't necessarily make you you can't like magically click your fingers and all of a sudden all of your players are non-ego players who are going to work together and everything. Like it seems like it has to do with I guess more sy- systemic upper management stuff. Would you would you think that's fair? Eh, I I would say coaches do have a really good opportunity to get everyone on the same page. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to say like the coaches have nothing to do with it. Like yeah, a coach obviously. definitely can come in and get, they can get everyone to buy into a system uh, similarly to how like we did it with clutch last year um, where the team wasn't performing very well. And then we brought in um, uh, a new coaching staff and then we were able to get everyone to buy into a system, get everyone to play together, get everyone to treat everyone like humans. And mm-hmm. um so coaches definitely do have the potential to bring together a team so that the players want to win and they want to play with each other and they want to perform well for each other. Yeah. It's just something that that's like, that is one aspect. There are just many aspects to it, like in terms of like roster formation yeah. and uh, can you actually uh, swap players if you want, if a coach wants to and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now you bring up clutch, um, which I thought was interesting the way that you kind of, you guys change up your coaching role and it seemed like everyone bought in you guys had an amazing run with clutch um i actually caught one of your games at one of the uh i think it was st louis i think you guys were playing in st louis um at one point um i don't remember what game it was it was a couple years ago um but i was there it was good great barbecue in st louis i I clutch i think it was clutch it's like 2016 (laughs) that was 2016 was i'd have to look maybe it wasn't maybe it was dignitas 2016 was C9. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look now. I'm gonna look. I have I have the data. It would have been. Uh, it would have been. Uh, uh, sorry, wrong dates. 2019. Oh yeah, 2019 was clutch. But that was Detroit. Yeah. Pretty sure. Oh yeah, there. I, it was one of the. Okay, it, it, I went to Detroit one too. It was okay. Detroit. <laughs> I went to. I, I go to a lot of these. Okay, yeah, I went okay, to Detroit. Okay, okay. I could. I got them mixed up though. I got them mixed up. Yeah, it was Detroit. Um. That was yeah, but I, I remember watching that. So you had an amazing run with Clutch, um, and then obviously they kept you on for 2020. What happened in 2020? Was it uh, not buying in the system? Because uh, obviously I don't think the season went as well as you guys would have liked. Um, what do you think happened from your end? Um, so I would say that we had different. We had different views on the decisions we wanted to make. So obviously, okay. we went with a specific decision uh, going into the year. And yeah, I would say from a coaching perspective, I don't think we were too successful in uniting the players and getting everyone to buy into a system. In the first, mm-hmm. like, what, two weeks of spring, I thought everyone was was very nice and everyone was very open to listening to each other because we were winning. They were, they had, like, yeah. I call it the honeymoon phase where... Um, That's a... Good title, by the way. Yeah, so it's like everyone comes together. Everyone wants to prove to each other that they're good players. Everyone wants to listen, be a good teammate. And yep. everyone's listening to each other and we're doing well. And then um, eventually that goes away. And we were unable to, until like week eight, week nine, kind of get everyone to come together again and be uh, ha- have that culture where everyone is you know playing for each other and listening to each other and, and having good fundamentals and wa- wanting to perform well in practice so that 
we can get better as a team. Um, so I would say as a coaching staff, I don't think we're too successful with that. There are obviously tons of other yeah. things, um, but I can't really get into that. Yeah, I know. Um, looking at like you notice things aren't working out throughout the year. How how, how do you deal with that stress? Like, because like, that's got to be one of the most stressful things ever. Because like when you're doing well, you know that there's a level of security for things that mm -hmm. are happening. But when you're not like, I mean, you really don't know. Like, how do you deal with that stress going through the season? Yeah, I mean, I can usually tell when a problem is solvable from like a, like a like a like a, like a um, how do I say it? Like in terms of like gameplay, if a, if yeah. a problem is solvable or if like a change has to be made. And so, based on like the severity of the problem, there are obviously different levels of stress. Like if it's something where you know our, our fundamentals are just really bad at the five to ten minute mark, like we just have to do these two things, then it's like. The, the stress isn't that high, even if you go O2, because those are very simple things to solve. Like just just listen to each other when these two people are saying that like someone's missing and stuff like that. Yeah. But it, but if it's a if it's like a glaring issue that I I think there's a specific solution and uh, we don't have people behind to have that solution, then it becomes really stressful because then I have to solve the problem doing uh, something that I don't think is going to work. So okay. that's when it's really stressful because then as a coach, you know that this is probably the, not the most, um, it's, it's not the most likely way to solve the problem. So then yeah. you have to do it a different way because that's like the easier thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awful when you have to do that. Yeah. Um, what kind of role of a coach do you play? Like, obviously, there's different, I would say, coaches and strengths. Where do your strengths lie as a coach? Are you more of a, a people person coach or are you more of a, a gameplay like type coach or a mixture of the both? Um, I'd say just anything relating to the gameplay. I just I, I'm really good at just the analysis of the game in terms of, you know, monitoring a room, um, getting the whole um I actually, uh, I worked with Weldon for like two weeks on, in the beginning of 2019, yeah. um, when I was a free agent and there are obviously some things that are useful and some things that aren't too useful, but something that he is really good at is making sure that day to day, there's just positivity in the air. Like yeah. you can, like you can get absolutely shit on in a game and then afterwards he'll bring up some things that the team actually did pretty well that they weren't doing well at before and then you actually get yeah. some positivity in the air so there are things like that that i have been working on but in terms of my strengths it's definitely just anything related to the game and i'm good at like empowering my players like if they want if they're really good on specific champions or they want to play a specific way then i'm all for it um i just need to know like how we want to play as a team form a system around that and then uh form drafts and yeah okay Okay, I think that's I think it's really good for people to kind of see. Do you what strengths do you think you have that other coaches don't have? Where where do you think that you lie? Where you know what this is the reason why people want to hire you, comparative to other people. Um. Well, like I said, my analytical side, and then also the fact that I was a player. I feel like when I watch a lot of coaches do VOD review, like uh, whether it's like Twitch. Twitch streaming a VOD review yeah. or um, someone's like watching Worlds and they're doing analytics about it. They don't, they don't 100% understand when 
what a player is going to know and what a player is not going to know because yeah. they might not be like the a challenger player or a grandmaster player. So they, they're not going to see something the same way the player is going to see it. So they might go into an explanation for two minutes about why a, sh a player shouldn't do something. And the player is like, yeah, yeah, like he already knows that. Like he, he already knows yeah. like he just, he just missed his skill shot. It was actually a fine decision. Or it's like, um, he already knows it's something stupid because like these, these, uh, these things on the mini map so yeah there's like the specific and stuff so yeah i would say the fact that i was a player definitely helps uh be able to make sure that i'm saying like the the useful information to uh my players because then i'm not saying stuff that are really obvious to them and stuff like that do you think that you need to be a player to be a coach do you think that that's something that is because i know some people have that idea that you like i've seen some players who said you don't you'll never really understand me because you were never a player which i think is a cop-out by the way um, for things, but that's my opinion. But do you think that you need to be a, a player to, um, to be a good coach? No, I, I don't think so. You just need to have a good look. You just need to be respected by your players. So yeah. it's a really easy way to gain the respect is to be like, I've been challenger solo queue for six years. And like, and or they, they know that you it's played on stage. It's just extra buy and It's like yeah. an extra thing to get them so, to buy into whatever yeah, so system from, you're doing. So from, yeah, so from their point of view, it's like, okay, this guy's not an idiot. Like he, he knows how to play the game and mm -hmm. it seems like he knows what he's talking about. So you automatically get that level of respect. But for sure, like if you're... It, like no matter what you rank, like if you're just very smart about the game and you put a lot of time into your craft, then you can know just as much as a yeah. professional player. You just need to work harder to get that initial level of respect. And as of now, it does seem like there are a few people that are not um, super highly rated themselves that are in that position in League of Legends. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of maybe side shifting more to the business side of esports again. Um, Looking at, uh, I guess, public salaries. I know one time you kind of, like years ago, years ago, you kind of mentioned like, let, let if they want to announce their salaries and that's fine, that's up to them. Uh, do you think that like maybe public salaries or salary crap or something that you would like to see as a coach because it would level the playing fields a little bit? Like, is that something that where you can be like, because unless you're on like Team Liquid, salary caps are, I would say, beneficial, right? If you're someone who has infinite or I don't, seemingly infinite amount of money, um, it seems that salary salary caps would be something you'd never want. Yeah. Uh, probably probably not a salary cap. I mean, it's good for the eSport itself to just yeah. have more money in the system. So I just want to see more growth. It does seem like there will be more growth by just having no salary cap. So <laughs> um, may maybe that changes in like 10 to 15 years. But as of now, like we just want more growth we just want the sport to be bigger and bigger and the more money that's involved in the sport it seems like the better awesome awesome well believe it or not we've been here almost an hour and a half time flies right hmm. hopefully hopefully you enjoyed your time here if you didn't uh, <laughs> too, too bad you're fucking you're, you're almost i actually have one question for you arguably okay. the hardest question i will ask you okay i'm ready okay so having had the experience uh being on the show if you could see anyone being on the show uh the only criteria is they have to speak english because it's the only language i speak and they have to be involved in uh esports media production they can be in front of the camera behind the camera they don't necessarily have to be a player they could be a coach could be just involved in like media who would you like to see on the show hmm i mean there are some good personalities how, how many league people have you done uh, do, 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 do. I don't know. If you name someone who I've had, I will let you know. Have you done more people on the staff side or the player side? Oh, do, do, do. 
I think they're about even now. I think you probably get... I've had Amazing, Zig, um, it might be even more on... I've, I've done over 80 interviews, so try, like, unless you name the name, it's going to be hard for me to know offhand. Um, I want to say I've done three or four players. Okay. I feel like well, maybe it's higher staff side, though, or it will be here soon. Okay, so I think Damante has good interviews. Ar Artemis, so okay. does the really good interviews as well. And... Um. Yeah, I I think both of those are really good people to interview. Awesome, awesome. One well, player, one coach. I think that's good. I think it's good. I'll I'll try to get both of them. Um. That being said, I actually don't have any more questions for you. That's all my questions. Hopefully, you enjoyed your time here. If you have any shoutouts, you're more than welcome to give them. Otherwise, I'll close out the show. Uh. No, I think I'm good. I mean, thanks for watching, guys. Um. And I guess if I have fans watching this, uh, thanks for. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. Hopefully it was a it was a fun uh fun vod to watch and hopefully you learned something. If not, then I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun to do. Awesome. Of course they're gonna enjoy it. If they made it to the your ending, they enjoyed it. So I mean, that, that's the way that uh, that works. If you didn't enjoy it, then uh, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Uh, for everyone out there, my name is Blake Panishevitz. And until next time, I hope you guys all have a wonderful day.